The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. Man, what a beautiful time in the Lord. You know, quite honestly, it's in moments like this that just, uh, I'm just being honest, I could sit and sing and worship and follow my Facebook before the Lord. When God begins to be lifted up, we really begin to see how really insignificant we are to His work in one sense, but also uh, hopefully we'll see uh, how important you are to what God's doing in the world today, right now, right here. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Revelation chapter 3. I've been in a series, if you're jumping in today, in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, uh, today is talking to the church at Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick up in just a moment, verse 7. Uh, let, let me just share a couple things. If, if I, I didn't do a good job in my life group this morning, but if you're here today and you're involved in any kind of life group leadership capacity, teacher, co-teacher, fellowship, prayer coordinator, uh, whatever capacities you may have, we want to invite you after worship next Sunday to stay. We're going to celebrate uh, really in one sense what you're doing, and we want to thank you for that hard work. We're going to provide a meal for you uh, right after worship next Sunday in the fellowship hall. Uh, if you have a whole family, bring the whole family. Uh, it's for everyone. I mean, we understand that. We're going to try to have some students there to, to watch the kids after we eat together. We're going to take a moment just to spend some time together. Uh, do a little training. But, I, but one of those things is to say thank you. And I can say publicly thank you to all of you. But it, I just need you to let us know you're going to be here. If you're in that leadership capacity, take that little tear off in your bulletin at the end of our service. Write, hey, I'll be at the dinner. Write your names down on it. If you got children going to be with you, just let us know. You're all welcome, all invited to be a part of that. Um, I do want to uh, just get into the word this morning. Revelation chapter 3, beginning of verse 7. To the church at Philadelphia, the angel of the, uh, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what I have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I'll make a pillar in the temple of the God. Never, never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we know that, man, we have, we're now uh, several churches into this message that was given in Revelation. And I believe God's got a word for us today. I believe God's already speaking to hearts today, quite honestly. It's hard as a preacher sometimes 
uh, to get up here because uh, I just really, I just believe in my heart God is already knocking on the door of some of you here today. There's no doubt about it. So part of me wants to just go straight to an invitation. But I also believe God's got a word for us. I want to share with you quickly as a way of introduction of this about the city. Just real quickly, the city was one of the smaller cities kind of set apart about 30 miles from Sardis. We've already looked at uh, Sardis just recently last week. Um, Philadelphia apparently was the youngest of the seven cities. It wasn't founded until 189 B.C. Um, and it was founded by either King Eumenes, if I'm saying that right, of Pergamum, or his brother Atlas. We don't know for sure, but that's how, in any way, the name of the city became derived because of these two brothers, thus brother lover, brotherly love, is what that word literally means in the Greek, Philadelphia. But it was also founded to be a center of Greek culture and language, and it was intended to do that from the Greeks. It planted there specifically and it didn't take them long to kind of infiltrate that whole area. And, and we know this because the Greek language became permanent throughout that area, that region. So they did that work. It was also, because it was nearby Sardis, it was also on the, uh, the valley, of a, a rich valley, but it was also on the uh, edges or fringes of there where there was a volcano. And we know that there was a powerful earthquake that impacted that area. Um, the church, again, little known about how the church started most likely during Paul's ministry at Ephesus, which many of these were, would have been done. Um, we do know that um, most likely, uh, we know that Ignatius wrote a letter when he traveled through there uh, on his way to be martyrdomed at Rome. We know that. Uh, he wrote a letter of encouragement and instructions. Um, and y'all mentioned to you a, a polycarp of Smyrna. Most likely he would have been martyred during that time period as well. But let's jump in here about the description. The first thing I want to share, because I think it's real clear here, how the Lord describes himself to the church here in Philadelphia. The previous five letters or churches that we've looked at here, uh, the vision comes from chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. But how in, however, in this one, there's a little uniqueness about it how the Lord describes himself. First and foremost, he says that he is holy. He refers to, to God as holy, who alone possesses absolute holiness. The Old Testament repeatedly describes God as the Holy One of Israel, the one who is set apart. In fact, in Isaiah 6, 3, it solemnly declares, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy is the Lord. We see that the song in Revelation. God is holy. In other words, He is utterly separate from us and from sin. Therefore, His character is absolutely unblemished and flawless. He is holy. But He's also true. This word aletheia, it, it, it means truth. It means genuine, authentic, real. I shared in life group this morning how we are set apart in truth and in love. The only reason why we can even discuss that or talk about truth, what is truth, is because God is true. He is the one true living God. Clearly, Scripture continues to, to teach that. It's, it's a truth that we, uh, as Christians, stand upon. There's only one God, one Lord, one Savior. He alone possesses that. He is true. What does that mean? There's no falsehood in Him whatsoever. There's no perversion. There's no error whatsoever in our Lord 
Jesus Christ. He is truth. It also describes him as the one who holds the key of David. David, as you know, symbolizes messianic office. You know this from your Bible. A key in Scripture represents authority, or whoever holds this key has control or authority. So when he says in this, in this case uh, that he holds the key of David, that he literally is saying that in this case he has the keys, we know of not only death, hell, and the grave, he has it, possesses it, he has authority, but he has the authority and the power to unlock that door to the messianic blessing of salvation, of eternal life. He alone, and let me say this, he alone holds and possesses this key. There's no other place you will find access into these blessings, the eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, except through the one who has authority to unlock that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was reminding, I mean, he's saying these things, describing himself to the church at Philadelphia. He also says that he is all-powerful. In fact, he identifies himself here in this passage as the one who, what, opens what no one can shut and shuts what no one can open. This describes Christ being all-powerful. He is omnipotent. In other words, there's no one or nothing greater, more powerful than our Lord himself. If he says it's shut, it's shut. If he says it's open, it's open. In fact, the scripture declares, he says an act, uh, and who can reverse it declares the Lord. No one. No one. In fact, MacArthur makes this statement, no one can shut the doors to the kingdom or to the blessing if he holds them open. You have access. No one can force them open if he shuts them. In light of this promise, Christ also uh, it is not just referring to the blessings of salvation, but the blessings of service. He opens doors to opportunities to serve Him. And He also shuts those doors. He is sovereign over His church. Now to the church at Philippi, this is a big deal. As like some of the other churches we see here in Revelation, they are enduring hostility. In fact, the reference here to the synagogue of Satan reminds us of earlier. These were the Jewish religious leaders. Claimed to, uh, to know the right, right way, the correct way to the Lord, but they were not. The, Paul, I mean, the scripture says they were liars. They, they purposely and intentionally, with hostility, persecuted the church, even here in Philadelphia. We've seen this in the other churches. We saw it, it was the religious leaders that came after Christ himself. And here they are dealing with this same they're being persecuted. Now, I will say that to, when, when Christ describes himself as all-powerful, sovereign over his church, this brings great comfort to the church at Philadelphia, who is enduring great persecution. By the way, this is the only second church that there's no rebuke for. All the other words, he rebuked them for, for certain things or things they were doing or not doing. But in this case, not at all. Philadelphia was doing everything right, and they were being severely persecuted which blows up that deception that says if you're loving the Lord with all your heart and honoring Him, that you won't have any trials or struggles or persecution. And that's not true at all. To the church of Philadelphia, hearing these words brought great comfort to their hearts that God knows them personally. In fact, I'm going to move to this next thing. Not only does it describe, but the commendations from the Lord. The first thing He says to them, as He has said to the other churches, I know your deeds. Personally, 
and intimately he knows them. Now, now, again, nothing in their deeds caused him concern. There's no rebuke from the Lord to the church of Philadelphia. In fact, their, lead, their, their deeds were not like the church of Sardis that were found wanting, but they were honorable. What they were doing was right and honorable before the Lord. They were faithful to what God had called them to do. Again, this brought great comfort to the church. Not only that, but he talks about their power. In fact, in the scripture here, um, he says, I know your deeds and it placed before them. And then he goes on to say, I know that you have little strength or little power. And this wasn't a negative comment. It wasn't that they were just feeble and hanging on barely. Uh, but the truth is, it probably referred to the fact that they were small in number compared to the city in which they found themselves trying to serve the Lord. There was just a handful of them in the church there in Philadelphia. There was a little bit of strength, a little bit of numbers compared to the vast numbers of people that were not Christians and not for this resurrected Christ. It wasn't a negative comment at all. Uh, you know, Paul made this statement in 2 Corinthians. He says, I am well content with my weaknesses and insults and distresses, persecutions and with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Despite their small size, spiritual power flowed in the church at Philadelphia. People were being redeemed, lives were being transformed, and the gospel was being proclaimed in the city. The Lord looked down at the church of Philadelphia and said, it doesn't matter how si the size of the congregation is the size of your Savior. And in one sense, he says, I, I am pleased with you, and what you're doing is right and honorable. What else did he commend them for? He says, you kept the word. He says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. The believers there were marked by obedience. Unlike some of the churches where they weren't obedient, the church at Philadelphia was being obedient to the word of God. In fact, maybe like Job, they could testify, I have not departed from the command of your lips. I have treasured your words of my mouth more than necessary food. But make no mistake, the church was obedient. They also honored his name. They remained loyal no matter what it cost them. These are, these are from, the, from the Lord himself speaking to the church of Philadelphia. They honored his name. How do we honor the name of the Lord? Friend, it's how we live our life day to day, is it not? It's one thing, and I love gathering together with God's people, and this is a beautiful thing, a time to worship, a time to be encouraged, hopefully challenged, maybe even convicted and changed, transformed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But how do we honor His name? Really, the rubber meets the road tomorrow. Or maybe this afternoon when we go out visiting people. I don't know. In your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your friends, your coworkers, at school. That's where we demonstrate our faith. This is where we can honor or dishonor the name of the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong, we can dishonor the name of the Lord here in the house of the Lord as well. But the church of Philadelphia was commended for the fact that they remained loyal no matter what it cost them. In other words, he knew of their persecution, the struggle that they were facing, and yet they chose to honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this over and over again in, in, in the first century that people were being persecuted for their faith. You remember Polycarp, much like Ignatius, I mean others, and, and these are people that we know, there were other people that would not renounce the name of Christ. 
They, they honored him. The last thing is they endured patiently. Uh, he, he, said, he says, uh, I know that you have little strength. You have kept my word and not denied my name. And he says, I'll make you, uh, those who are sent of God of Satan, come. And, they, and those not been liars. And I will make them fall down at your feet. Acknowledge that I have loved you since you have kept my command to endure patiently. In other words, the Christians at Philadelphia had persevered faithfully through all their trials and difficulties. They had come through it. They were steadfast in their endurance. By the way, is a mark of a Christian. Paul again wrote in Thessalonians, he said, May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You know, one of the signs that that we love the Lord is our steadfastness, our willingness to endure, our willingness to, whether it's the uh, common thing of the day or not, but I'm going to continue to love the Lord, honor the Lord, worship the Lord, serve the Lord, no matter what. To the church at Philadelphia, they endured patiently despite their trials. So he commended them on all these things. The next thing that he really brings to light is the promises from the Lord. And there are several promises that the Lord gives to the church at Philadelphia. The first thing is this. He says, I'm going to give you an open door. In other words, he was going to unlock and open that door. We've mentioned that about their salvation. They'll be able to enter into that messianic kingdom. In other words, when the Lord opened it, it was secure. It wasn't built on their what they did. It was built on what he did. And they were secure in that. They, they had entrance into the blessings of salvation. The grace of God was theirs. The great I am had opened that door for them. It was guaranteed, signed, sealed, and delivered. There was security for them. And let me say to us, I can't help but to bring it home today. God enable us to be secure in Christ today. He's opened the door in the way of salvation. He's unlocked the keys to that messianic kingdom. It's ours in Christ. So they had their salvation. They were secure in that. But it also gives them opportunities for service. That open door. Elsewhere in Scripture, it's reminded there was an open door for Paul in Ephesus. He said, I'm going to endure here, but I've got an open door in Ephesus until Pentecost. In other words, there was a wide open door for him to serve. That's what he described it as. Friend, let me ask you a question. Has God opened a door for you for ministry? Has God shown you recently His plan, His purpose, where He's at work around you? Has God opened that door for you? You know, in just a little while at the end of our service, we're going to pray for our students and, and teachers and, and the open door. I don't know if you think about it this way, but good night. I can't, well, I can't, I guess I could go back to school. Not that I'd want to, but anyway. You do realize when you walk into that schoolhouse, you walk in there, if you're a 7th grader, 8th grader, 6th grader, doesn't matter, 9th, 10th, 11th, doesn't matter. You walk into a classroom and God has planted you there for a purpose and a reason. Don't think for one minute that he didn't know that you were going to be there at that moment in that place at this time. If you're a cheerleader, if you're in the band, or if you're a home, it doesn't matter where you are. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The, 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 the challenge for me and you is do we see the open door of opportunity? Or do we just think, well, that's just where it is. That's, I just happen to work here at this place. Some of y'all work at Mercedes. Some of y'all are retired. That means you have lots of opportunities. I'm just kidding. Hang in there. 
But make no mistake, the Lord's promise is an open door. In other words, even in the midst of great struggle for the church of Philadelphia, there was a plan and a purpose for their life. And he said, I've opened the door of ministry that nobody else can shut. It's not based on what's around you. It's based on the fact that I am with you and that I've created this opportunity. And he opens that door. The next promise is this. I've already read it, but he talks about the defeat of their enemy. The Christians of Philadelphia faced hostility from unbelieving Jews. No doubt, they were getting bombarded and persecuted. They rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. In fact, he calls them the synagogue of Satan. And he's already done that before. It was intense. It wasn't, it wasn't in word. Man, they were literally like, like Saul before he got saved. They were dragging people to their death, putting them in prison. They were trying everything they could to stomp out this gospel, this Christian gospel. Great intensity and hostility. In the midst of that, God gives the church of Philadelphia a word and says, you know what? We're going to defeat them. They will be defeated. In fact, I'm going to bring them before you and they're going to bow down. They're going to acknowledge and to admit that whole concept, that whole phrase there. It, it just The imagery is what? Bowing at someone's feet depicts abject, total defeat and submission. The Lord promises the Christians in Philadelphia, said they're going to bow down to the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what they're trying to destroy, they can't destroy. And they're going to come to the place where they're going to admit that and, and, and they're going to speak. Hey, please hear me. Philippians 2. You can confess Christ today or you'll do it in judgment. You can declare that He is Lord God Almighty today or you'll do it in judgment. He gives great comfort in a word to the church in Philadelphia. Friend, it's no different for us today. I know, I know Gavin's going to be doing some songs on Sunday night soon for the uh, children. Ephesians 6. Friend, I'll remind us there's a battle raging all around us today. But friend, please hear me. It's not whether we will win or won't win. Friend, we have won in Christ. The Bible declares this over and over. We have victory, my goodness, in Jesus. Y'all know that'd make a good song. I mean, it'd make a good song. We have victory. The church in Philadelphia was struggling because of persecution. And the resurrected Lord comes to them and says, you're victorious. He gives them a word and says, I, I promise you the defeat of your enemy is certain and they're going to come and bow down and declare that. He also says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of testing or trial. Because the church of Philadelphia had passed so many of these tests before, the Lord promises them to, to, to spare them from this ultimate test. Now, there's something we need to hear because this, this is a new thing for us in the message here to the church of Philadelphia. This, uh, this test, this trial, this tribulation that's coming. The sweeping nature of this promise extends beyond Philadelphia. Because why? Because he talked about it's going to the, all the world. So he gives us a glimpse into the tribulation that's going to be a coming. For sure. And, 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 and there's several things about this. In fact, the, this verse promises what? I'm going to spare you. You that are faithful. You that are honoring me. You that know me, that have, uh, that, that have experienced this messianic freedom, this uh, blessings, this salvation. He said, I'm going to spare you. And it's not just for the church of Philadelphia. It's for all Christians, all that have been washed in the blood of Jesus. M MacArthur makes this statement about tribulation. This, this passage supports 
that we as Christians won't be here when tribulation begins. That we're going to be raptured out before that happens. Caught up with Him in the air unless you die in Christ beforehand. There's three passages in your Bible that talk about the rapture. John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and Thessalonians chapter 4. None of them speak of judgment, but rather the church being called up to heaven prior to the tribulation. I just want to remind you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the scripture says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The grave is not the end, right? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, praise the Lord. And we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's Word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come, come on, from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of the archangel, and with the trump call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be left, will be caught up, be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. Some things about this. This, this tribulation that he's re referencing here in Philadelphia in this passage of Scripture is in the future. It's yet to come. And, and this test, this tribulation, is a definite time. He says an hour of tribulation. It's a, it's a set period of time. And this tribulation is a test. It's a trial that will expose people for who they really are. The worldwide scope it means it's going to apply to everybody in this world, all that are here during that time. The purpose is to test those who dwell on the earth during this time. The church is gone. The pe people of God are gone at this point. That phrase, dwell on the earth, is found multiple times in Revelation. It always refers to those that are unbelievers in the earth. The last thing is this. I am coming soon. Man, how fitting we sing a song this morning about the great I am. I am the one true living God is coming soon. To the church of Philadelphia, they were in great persecution and struggling, but listen to the words of the Lord. He says, I am coming soon. In other words, he was saying, I am coming. I am coming to your rescue. I'm going to deliver you out of this. I am coming. Take it to the bank. He is. Now listen, this reference here, I am, I mean, it's very literal, very real. The imminent return of Christ. Christ is coming for his church to the church of Philadelphia, this brought great comfort knowing that their testing, this tribulation, was only for a period of time. And yet, I would, I would say to you, church, today, I mean, good night. Here we are in the 21st century. Make no mistake. The great I Am is coming. He's coming for His bride, His church, the people of God. Maybe that trump, maybe that angel's getting warmed up up there in heaven. I don't know when He's coming, but the Bible says... He's coming soon. The imminent return of Christ is real. And the truth is, it could happen at any time. You know, at the end of this wonderful book, Revelation, the very end of it, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
One of the major themes in Revelation is, yes, that, 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 that the salvation of those in the midst of persecution. But listen, Jesus is coming again, over and over again. To the church at Philadelphia, it brought comfort. Let me ask you, what does it bring to you today? The imminent return of Christ, how does that impact my life today? If I really knew that Christ was coming this afternoon, what would that change in my life today? If I knew the imminent return of Christ, the reality is we don't know when, we don't know at what time, but He's coming. All Christians in all time periods have always had a sense that the imminent return of Christ may happen in their lifetime. It's no different today. In fact, some would say it's a greater urgency in our heart, a sense in our heart today that, that all of this happening in the world is pointing to the return of Christ. The one command that he gives the church at Philadelphia is this. He says, hold fast. He says that hold fast. Hold fast to what you have. That promise was what, what this. He said, I want you to persevere to the end. I want you to have a, 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 a sense of urgency that I may come at any moment, but I want you to hang on and hold on. It's not a sense of desperation. That's a sense of encouragement. Our Heavenly Father is saying to me and you today, hold on, keep working, keep doing, keep living your life in such a way that brings honor and glory to Him. It made a difference in Philadelphia, and it makes a difference today at Flint Hill. Everywhere we are, it makes a difference. We need to hear the word of the Lord to hang on. Hold fast. Gavin, I'm going to ask you to come, if you don't mind, play softly for us. So, friend, here, here's where we are today, this morning. Man, it's just a great word of the Lord to hang on, to hold fast. The imminent return of Christ. To the church at Philadelphia, it brought great comfort and encouragement. But listen to me, it also, it also brought focused intentionality. They knew they had to keep on keeping on with what the Lord had called them to do. Friend, it's the same for me and you here today, 21st century. God's got a plan and a purpose for our lives. Can I, can I just say this? Friend, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, God's plan for you is to repent and turn to Christ today. If you know Jesus Christ personally, if you've never made that public, then please, Jesus, help us make it public today. Follow through believer's baptism. Why? Because he said so. The Lord commanded that clearly in His Word. God's got a plan and a purpose. You know, He ends this little passage. He says, He who has ears, let him hear. Maybe this morning it's all about God opening up our ears to hear His plan and purpose for our life right now. To remind us He's not done. To remind us that yes, right now, right here, in your life, I have a plan and a purpose for you. He's not going to make it happen. He's not going to beat you over the head till you get it done. He wants you to submit and surrender. 
to the church of Philadelphia, they were faithful. Praise be to God. No matter what happened, he said, hold fast. Just keep on keeping on. We're about to sing a song of invitation. Friend, if you're here, you need to make public, you need to unite with this fellowship, you need to just do business with God, then please have freedom in this sanctuary right now. Father, we just ask you to be glorified in everything that happens right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing a song of invitation.